five more. Do you see dead people? Not because you're a Bruce Willis superfan, but because visits with Gma got a little weird after her funeral. Are you often up at 3 a.m. googling the various ways in which bodies decompose? But you swear it's just harmless research. Are you the first of your friend group to go on a murder tour or rent a haunted location for the night? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Identity Podcast. protein powders that give me a little extra boost. There are mornings when I just can't get up and eat a huge breakfast, so I make a protein shake instead, and the powders I got from Unico Nutrition hit the spot. There are so many delicious flavors. Vanilla ice cream milkshake, ooey gooey frosted cinnamon roll, spoonful of peanut butter with chocolate, Aunt Judy's banana cream pie, molten chocolate lava shake, cookies and cream dream, and candy shop caramel squares. They even have a birthday cake cupcake with rainbow sprinkles. Unico protein powder for women and men is the perfect guilt-free indulgence. Use the low-carb protein shakes for faster recovery after workouts, healthier snacking, or even as a meal replacement. The powder itself is so fine that it blends seamlessly into milkshakes and mixes for baked goods. And Unico has a bunch of recipes on their website for delicious donuts and keto-friendly cinnamon rolls to name a few. Unico's everyday wellness supplements help replenish essential nutrients and help you live your best life. Trim down and tone up with Unico's best-in-class supplements for weight loss, carefully formulated with five patented all-natural ingredients to help you achieve your healthiest physique. Right now, listeners of the Identity Podcast can save $20 on their purchase at uniconutrition.com. Just head on over to their website and use code IDENTITY at checkout. That's O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y. Say goodbye to chalky, tasteless protein powders and supplements that fall flat, and say hello to Unico Nutrition. It's like a bunch of unicorns are having a rave in your mouth. Seriously. Quote, Most persons are aware that the Greeks and Romans entertained certain notions regarding the state of the soul, or the immortal part of man, after the death of the body, which have been generally held to be purely mythological, as they coincide with the opinions of many of the most enlightened persons of the present age, it may be desirable to consider more closely. I allude here particularly to their belief in the Triopurite kingdom of the dead. According to this system, there were the Elysian Fields, a region in which a certain sort of happiness was enjoyed, and Tartarus, 
the place of punishment for the wicked, each of which was comparatively, but thinly, inhabited. But there was also a mid-region, people with innumerable hosts of wandering and mournful spirits, who, although undergoing no torments, are represented as incessantly bewailing their condition, pining for the life that they once enjoyed in the body, longing after the things of the earth, and occupying themselves with the same pursuits and objects as had formerly constituted their business and their pleasure. Old habits are still dear to them, and they cannot snap the link that binds them to the earth. Now, although we cannot believe in the existence of Charon, the three-headed dog, or Alecto, the serpent-haired fury, it may be worthwhile to consider whether the persuasion of the ancients with regard to that which concerns us also nearly, namely the destiny that awaits us when we have shaken off this mortal coil, may not have some foundation in the truth. Whether it might be a remnant of a tradition transmitted from the earliest inhabitants of the earth, wrestled by observation from nature, if not communicated from a higher source, and also whether circumstances of constant recurrence in all ages and in all notions, frequently observed and recorded by persons utterly ignorant of classical lore, and unacquainted indeed with the dogmas of any creed but their own, do not, as well as various passages in the scriptures, afford a striking confirmation of this theory of a future life, while it, on the other hand, offers a natural and convenient explanation of their mystery." End quote. Catherine Crow's The Night Side of Nature, 1848. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network, your bi-weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. This week, I introduce you to Catherine Crow, known by many as the mother of the paranormal. Crow is credited widely for helping to lay the groundwork for the founding of the Society for Psychical Research in 1882, and her book, The Night Side of Nature, was the first published work of its kind to consider scientific inquiry of paranormal phenomena. Crow's classification system for spirits and phenomena remains relevant to this day. I'd also like to remind you all that merch is available on the Bonfire site. Each shirt is made of soft, premium fabric, a 50-50 cotton poly mix, and makes a perfect gift for that special weirdo in your life. As the shirt states, we are weird together, a family of weirdlings that's been keeping it weird and spooky since 2017. All proceeds from shirt sales go towards hosting costs, and will help to keep the weird coming for another year. You can find the Weird Together shirt at bonfire.com forward slash store forward slash OP merch. I'll post a link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Although there were others before who investigated and examined the world of paranormal phenomena, Catherine Crow could be considered the mother of the practice. Crow's study delves deep into not only ghost stories and paranormal tales, but also the unexplained, including time slips, out-of-body and near-death experiences, and extrasensory perception. She was big into research and compared cross-cultural data 
about almost every type of strange happening from the 18th and 19th centuries back to antiquity. From Alison Yornland's article, Catherine Crow, The Forgotten Mother of the Paranormal, quote, she was one of those rare multilingual researchers who scoured the literature of non-English speaking countries for anomalies. Inspired by German scholars in particular, Crow brought the ideas of leading physicians, psychologists, and other scientists, including Justinius Kerner, and others too numerous to mention, to English-speaking readers. Her interest initially led Crow to translate German physician Justinius Kerner's amazing tale, The Seerist of Provost, in 1845, before writing The Night Side of Nature, her own compendium of psychic phenomena. Published just as the spiritualist movement was getting underway, The Night Side of Nature is arguably the most popular paranormal book of all time, resulting in 16 editions in just six years. You're familiar with the term poltergeist and doppelganger because Crow introduced these words into English usage. The Night Side of Nature was meant to foster the budding field of psychical research by providing a categorical record of dreams, presentiments, warnings, trances, wraiths, apparitions, spectral lights, haunted houses, poltergeists, demonic possessions, and other revelations, together with an appeal for the serious scientific investigation of all such phenomena." End quote. Catherine Ann Stevens was born in Borough Green, Kent, England, on the 14th of June, 1803, and was educated mostly at home. Most of her childhood was spent in Kent. In her teens, she married Army officer Major John Crow and gave birth to one son, John William, in 1823. Unfortunately, the marriage was unhappy. There isn't much information about why exactly, only that Catherine sought out help to separate from John Crow in 1828. The years following are hazy, but by 1838, she was living in Edinburgh, separated from John Crow, and had met several writers who encouraged her into the craft, including Harriet Martineau and William Makepeace Thackeray. She was also a known friend of Charles Dickens and Charlotte Bronte. Catherine Crow was not only an author, but also a playwright, penning Aristodemus and The Cruel Kindness. Her play, Susan Hopley, opened at the Royal Victoria Theatre in 1841 and was a long-running success. By 1849, the play had been performed 343 times. Apparently, if you'd like to learn a little more about those hazy times in Catherine's life, you should look up these plays, as both had historical themes that paralleled her own family issues. As a writer myself, I'm sure some of the hazier portions of my narrative can be found in my scribbles. Catherine also wrote children's books, including versions of Uncle Tom's Cabin for young readers, Pippi's Warning, or Mind Your Temper, the story of Arthur Hunter and his first shilling, and the adventures of a monkey. Out of all of her written work, her novel The Night Side of Nature is her most well-known and reprinted. Copies have been reprinted as recently as 2000. Cotty started with a question. Why do shoes need to be boring? The answer was, they don't. 
Shoes can show just as much of your personality as your favorite t-shirt or that kooky hat you like to wear. You know the one. Not only do shoes not have to be boring, they also have the power to make you happy. Cotties is committed to creating footwear that is versatile, comfortable, and sustainable, but above all, undeniably fun. Cotties receive the kind of attention that a black boot or a battered trainer can only dream about. Wide grins, a little chuckle, looks of astonishment even. Once you put on a pair of Cotties, you'll be hooked, pun very much intended, on the most finteresting footwear styles on Cod's green earth. Cotties is leading the footwear revolution, armed with an arsenal of very bad puns and a determination to stand out in a sea of boring, uninspiring footwear. To top it all off, Cotties offers a hassle-free guarantee. If you don't love your Cotties, send them back within 90 days. No questions asked. All orders over $30 ship completely free. And right now, you can save 10% on your Cotties order if you use code IDENTITYPOD at checkout. So head on over to Cotties.com, that's C-O-D-D-I-E-S dot com, and use code O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y POD and step into a pair of ultra-comfortable Cotties today. Catherine was drawn to spiritual subjects and inspired by German writers, and the night side was greatly influenced by their ideas of the supernatural and paranormal. The novel has been translated into both German and French, and is said to have influenced Charles Baudelaire, French poet and art critic, and one of the first translators of Edgar Allan Poe's work. Now, I know I talk a lot about spiritualism on this podcast, and that's likely because I'm fascinated by the topic, but spiritualism plays a rather large part in Catherine Crow's life. In her paranormal investigations, she employed spiritualist tactics in order to better engage the spirits that she was trying to contact, including the addition of a clairvoyant, or seer, into her investigative circle. She also allowed several esteemed members of the community to come with her on investigations. One notorious location being a haunted house in Edinburgh, Scotland, in which several people had been murdered. Ghost hunters today use many of the investigative processes that Catherine created for her research in the field of paranormal study. From here, let's take a look at some of the paranormal occurrences that Catherine documented during her time as a paranormal investigator. These are simply reiterated accounts of others who have experienced phenomena. Catherine has simply compiled them for Nightside. If you'd like to read more of these ghost stories, I'll drop a link to Nightside in the show notes. It's free to read on Project Gutenberg. Appropriately, Chapter 13 of Nightside is filled with tales of hauntings and other ghostly happenings. Beginning on page 273, Catherine Crow writes, quote, I know of two or three other houses in this city, and one in the neighborhood, in which circumstances of this nature are transpiring, or have transpired very lately, but people hush them up for fear of being laughed at, and also from an apprehension of injuring the character of a house, on which account I do not dwell on the particulars. But there was some time since, a thema of this kind attached to a house in St. J Street, some of the details of which became very public. 
It had stood empty for some time, in consequence of the annoyances to which inhabitants had been subjected. There was one room particularly, which nobody could occupy without disturbance. On one occasion, a youth who had been abroad a considerable time, either in the army or navy, was put there to sleep on his arrival. Since knowing nothing of these reports, it was hoped that his rest might not be interrupted. In the morning, however, he complained of the dreadful time that he had had, with people looking in at him between the curtains of his bed all night. Avowing his resolution to terminate his visit that same day, as he would not sleep there any more. After this period, the house stood empty again for a considerable time, but was at length taken and workmen sent in to repair it. One day when the men were away for dinner, the master tradesman took the key and went to inspect the progress. And having examined the lower rooms, he was ascending the stairs when he heard a man's foot behind him. He looked around, but there was nobody there and he moved on again. Still, there was somebody following, and he stopped and looked over the rails, but there was no one to be seen. So, although feeling rather queer, he advanced into the drawing room, where a fire had been lighted, and wishing to combat the uncomfortable sensation that was creeping over him, he took hold of a chair, and drawing it resolutely along the floor, slammed it down upon the hearth with some force and seated himself in it. When to his amazement the action, in all of its particulars of sound, was immediately repeated by his unseen companion, who seemed to seat himself beside him on a chair as invisible as himself. Horror struck the worthy builder, and he started up and rushed out of the house. There was a house in S Street in London having stood empty a good while, was at length taken by Lord B. The family were annoyed by several unpleasant occurrences and by the sound of footsteps, which were often audible, especially in Lady B.'s bedroom, who, though she could not see the form, was occasionally conscious of its immediate proximity. Sometimes since, a gentleman having established himself in a lodging in London, felt the first night he slept there that the clothes were being dragged off his bed. He fancied that he'd done it himself in his sleep and pulled them on again, but it happens repeatedly. He gets out of bed each time, can find nobody, no string, no possible explanation, nor can obtain any from the people of the house who only seem distressed and annoyed. On mentioning it to someone in the neighborhood, he is informed that the same thing has occurred to several preceding occupants of the lodging, which, of course, he left. The circumstances that happened at Newhouse in Hampshire, as detailed by Mr. Barham in the third volume of Ingoldsby Legends, are known to be perfectly authentic, and are the following, the account of which I have received from a highly respectable servant, residing in the family with whom I am well acquainted. She informs me that she was, not very long since, living with Colonel and Mrs. W., who, being a Carlisle, engaged a furnished house, which they obtained at an exceedingly cheap rate, because nobody liked to live in it. The family, however, met with no annoyance, and attached no importance to the rumor which had kept the house empty. 
There were, however, two rooms in it, wholly unfurnished, and as the house was large, they were dispensed with until the occurrence of a race week, when, expecting company, these two rooms were temporarily fitted up for the use of nurses and children. There were heavy Venetian blinds to the windows, and in the middle of the night, the person who related the circumstance to me was awakened by the distinct sound of these blinds being pulled up and down with violence, perhaps as many as 20 times. The fire had fallen low, and she could not see whether they were actually moved or not, but lay trembling in indescribable terror. On a dark night, you make a wrong turn on the highway and find yourself alone on a country road. You are unnerved, but the road is too narrow to turn around. As your tires crunch over the gravel, you turn the radio up to calm your nerves, and all you find is static. As you reach the end of the dial, you stumble upon a show you, nor almost anyone, has ever heard. Congratulations, you've stumbled upon the Lost Signal, a midnight sanctuary of terrifying audio plays to chill and fulfill. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presently, feet were heard in the room, and a stamping as if several men were moving about without stockings. While lying in this state of agony, she was comforted by hearing the voice of a nurse who slept in another bed in the same chamber, exclaiming, The Lord have mercy upon us. The second woman then asked the first if she had the courage to get out of bed and stir up the fire so that they might be able to see, which by great effort she did, the chimney being near her bed. There was, however, nothing to be discovered, everything being precisely as when they went to bed. On another occasion, when they were sitting in the evening at work, they distinctly heard someone counting money and the chink of the pieces as they were laid down. The sound proceeded from the inner room of the two, but there was nobody there. This family left the house, and though a large and commodious one, she understood it remained unoccupied, as before. A respectable citizen of Edinburgh, not long ago, went to America to visit his son, who had married and settled there. The morning after his arrival, he declared his determination to return immediately to Philadelphia, from which the house was at a considerable distance, and on being interrogated as to the cause of the sudden departure, he said that in the previous night he had heard a man walking about his room, who had approached the bed, drawn back the curtains, and bent over him. Thinking it was somebody who concealed himself there with no ill intentions, he had struck out violently at the figure, when, to his horror, his arm passed unimpeded through it. Other extraordinary things happened in that house, which had the reputation of being haunted, although the son had not believed it, and had therefore not mentioned the report to his father. One day the children said, 
that they had been running after such a queer thing in the cellar, it was like a goat, and not like a goat, but seemed to be like a shadow. A few years ago, some friends of mine were taking a house in this city, when the servants of the people who were leaving advised them not to have anything to do with it, for that there was a ghost in it that screamed dreadfully, and that they could never keep a stitch of clothes on them at night. The bed coverings were always pulled off. My friends laughed heartily and took the house, but the cries and groans all over it were so frequent that they at length got quite used to them. It is to be observed that the house was a flat, or floor, shut in, so that there could not be drafts of air, nor access for tricks. Besides, it was a woman's voice, sometimes close to their ears, sometimes in a closet, sometimes behind their bed, in short, in all directions. Everybody heard it that went in the house. The tenant that succeeded them, however, has never been troubled with it. The story of the brown lady of the Marquis of Tees in Norfolk is known to many. The Honorable H.W. told me that a friend of his, while staying there, had often seen her, and had one day inquired of his host who was a lady in brown that he met frequently on the stairs. Two gentlemen, whose names were mentioned to me, resolved to watch for her and intercept her. They at length saw her, but she eluded them by turning down a staircase, and when they looked over, she disappeared. Many persons have seen her. There's a Scotch family of distinction, who, I am told, are accompanied by an unseen attendant, whom they call Spinning Jenny. She's heard spinning in their house in the country, and when they come into town, she spins there. Servants and all hear the sound of her wheel. I believe she accompanies them no further than their own residences, not to those of other people. Jenny is supposed to be a former housemaid of the family who was a great spinner, and they're so accustomed to her presence as to feel no annoyance." End quote. I think it goes without saying that Catherine Crow was an amazing woman who did a lot to further the field of paranormal research. But if she's so important, why don't we hear her praises sung more often? Well, it turns out that in early March of 1854, rumors were spread alleging that she had been found in the street naked near her residence. She was reportedly out of her mind and was sent to a madhouse in order to keep her and the public safe. There are many versions of what exactly happened and why she was naked in the street, but the most popular seems to be that the spirits told her if she took off all of her clothes, she'd become invisible. Her reputation was irreparably damaged by this rumor, a rumor supposedly spread by mesmerists. Mesmerism is another topic that I've covered on this podcast, who were disgruntled by the growing popularity of spiritualism. They figured they'd lambast Crow and paint communication with the other side as dangerous. Charles Dickens, a supposed friend, was apparently a supporter of mesmerism and was one of the first to spread this rumor. Charles Dickens wrote a letter to Reverend James White on March 7, 1854 that read, quote, Miss Crow has gone stark mad and stark naked on the spirit wrapping imposition. She was found t'other day in the street closed only in her chastity, a pocket handkerchief and a visiting card. 
She had been informed, it appeared, by the spirits, that if she went out in that trim, she would be invisible. She is now in a madhouse, and I fear hopelessly insane. One of the curious manifestations of her disorder is that she can bear nothing black. There is a terrific business to be done, even when they are obliged to put coals on her fire. End quote. Dickens also wrote to Emile de la Rue on March 9th, a few days later, saying, quote, There is a certain Mrs. Crow, usually resident in Edinburgh, who wrote a book called Night Side of Nature, and rather a clever story called Susan Hopley. She was a medium, and an ass, and I don't know what else. The other day she was discovered walking down her own street in Edinburgh, not only stark mad, but stark naked too. She said the spirits had informed her that if she walked out with a card in her right hand and a pocket handkerchief in her left, and nothing else, she would be invisible. But she was not surprised, she added, to find herself visible, because she remembered that in opening the street door, she had changed the card into the left hand and the pocket handkerchief into the right. She is now under restraint, of course. End quote. Crow herself denied that the event ever happened. It wasn't immediately reported upon by the newspapers, which seems odd to me, but was written about a couple of months following the supposed incident. Crow only knew of the rumor when she stumbled across a newspaper and responded to the Daily News on April 29, 1854. The letter read, Sir, I am very sorry to trouble the public about my private maladies or misfortunes, but since the press has made my late illness the subject of a paragraph, stating that I have gone mad on the subject of spirit rapping, I must beg leave to contradict the assertion. I have been for some time suffering from chronic gastric inflammation, and after a journey to Edinburgh in a week of considerable fatigue and anxiety, I was taken ill on the 26th of February, and was certainly for five or six days, not more, in a state of unconsciousness. During this aberration, I talked of spirit rapping, and fancied spirits were directing me, because the phenomena, so-called, have been engaging my attention, and I was writing on the subject. But I was not, and am not, mad about spirits or anything else, thank God. Though very much out of health, and exceedingly debilitated. I have been residing in London for the last five weeks, and I am now at Malvern, trying what hydrotherapy will do for me. I should feel greatly obliged by your insertion of this letter, and also if these journalists who have aided in spreading this erroneous impression will assist in disseminating this corrected statement, which I should have made earlier, but the paragraph did not meet my eye till today. I am, sir, your obedient servant, Catherine Crow. After she recovered, Catherine continued writing. Over the course of her remaining 18 years of life, she would pen two additional books about the paranormal, both published in 1859. Catherine Crow passed away on June 14, 1876, at the age of 72, in Folkestone, Kent. Crow sought to, quote, induce a few capable persons, instead of laughing at these things, to look at them, end quote, leaving an impressive legacy of literature for paranormal enthusiasts and parapsychologists everywhere. And, after all the drama he instigated, 
I'm personally reconsidering my love of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Aren't you? That's it for this week, dear listeners. Tune in on January 11th, when Season 7 continues with more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until next time, stay spooky. Enjoy what you've heard? Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash identitypod to drop a donation into my tip jar. Thank you for your support. The Identity Podcast is brought to you by host Janine Mercer. It's written, produced, and edited by Janine Mercer, unless otherwise stated, and the music is created using GarageBand. The podcast is available on Twitter and Instagram at IdentityPod, and on Facebook as The Identity Podcast. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, one will be available at theidentitypodcast.wordpress.com. Sincerest thanks to all who have promoted the podcast to their family, friends, and coworkers. Every little bit helps. <laughs>